Welcome back to the At The Art Podcast. We head out to the Grand Canyon State where Grand Canyon University recruiting coordinator Greg Wallace joins me. Wally, man, thanks a bunch for coming on, man. It's I've had you on the list to get on this podcast for a while now. I'm just I'm glad we're able to get it done here today. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. Awesome, Wally. So let, let's jump right on in, man. You're a SoCal guy. I mean, you, you prepped at Chatsworth High School and I'm a SoCal guy from San Diego. And, you know, coming up, you knew about two programs in SoCal and in San Diego is Rancho Bernardo and in LA it was Chatsworth. I mean, is that really where, you know, you kind of fell in love with the game was, was at Chatsworth high school? No doubt about it. I mean, it was one of those, those things I've, I've talked about this before, but uh, before culture was really a buzzword, coach Museborn had a culture at Chatsworth high school that was really special. And then you could feel it. Um, I remember, you know, from seventh grade on, um, I'd make my parents take me to their varsity games right after school, three o'clock, because I just wanted to, I just wanted to see, you know, what it looked like out there. And it was they had a, he had such a cool thing going with the the way the team played and the attitude and just the belief that um, that when you stepped on the field as a Chatsworth baseball player that you were supposed to win. And so it was, uh, yeah, that's when really the first time I also thought that maybe I coaching would be fun because of you know how I saw coach Museborn go about it and run a program yeah that that's that's interesting we'll come back to that point because I mean you know you're in high school and you're thinking wow you're already thinking about the future there but you have an opportunity to go on to UC Irvine you sign under coach Savage there transitioning or re kind of invigorating the program there, bringing it back you know, D1 program, and, and you sign under Coach Savage. You, you ultimately play with under Coach Serrano, who obviously plays a, a major role in your career path here. Uh, but you have a lot of success there, three-time academic All-American. What was that yeah. experience like going from Chatsworth, where, you know, you have a lot of success there as a program, going to mm-hmm. Irvine, where you individually had a lot of success? Yeah, it's, it was another just a great coaching staff. So it was – it just – you talked about going from coach Museborn to, um, you know, my coaching staff when I was at UC Irvine was John Savage, Jason Gill and Pat Shine and Joe DeMarco. Um, so right now you've got the head coach at UCLA, the head coach at USC and Shiner was, you know, in, in, I think with the, the Marlins up in the big leagues for a little while. Um, so I just got to see it was the styles were really different, but um, really, really successful coaches and how they went about things. So, um, it was it was a great program. I knew coming out of high school, and it was kind of my my first look into kind of who can influence decisions. But my high school coaches basically told me, um, Coach Museborn and Coach Lacour, who is now the uh, AD at Harvard Westlake, when I was going through the process of deciding where I wanted to go, they're like, Hey, if you're serious about baseball, you'll go play for John Savage and Jason Gill at, at UC Irvine. Um, the pedigree that they had going into Irvine, I mean, I think they had both. You know, Coach Savage had won a national title at SC. Coach Gill had won a national title title at Fullerton. And they were kind of mixing two of the best college baseball programs around uh, together with the philosophies coming from USC and Cal State Fullerton. So it was just a great experience. I, I, I like to think I soaked it in and, um, and uh, you know, learned a lot from my time there. Yeah, so after you finish playing, you you stick around, and and that's where the the coaching starts, right? And then 06 yeah. and, and in 07, you guys 
you know, you make a run, you're, you're the ops, you're the director of ops there. Yeah. And I want to touch on 06 though. You're an undergrad assistant and, and, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I had, uh, uh, Donegal Fergus on the podcast last week, and he's talking about how that position's been eliminated essentially. And it, right. I mean, we'll dive into that a little bit later, but I mean, as a guy who got an opportunity in coaching division one baseball as an undergrad assistant, I mean, how valuable was that for you, you know, as you're finishing up your, your degree and, and then, you know, ultimately you get a job as the ops guy. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. And I'm so fortunate to have had that opportunity to come back and, um, you know, coach Serrano, again, another just amazing coaching staff, coach Serrano, coach Bergeron, coach Brown, coach Baum. Um, you know, they, I'll never forget it. I was actually leaving to go back to the San Fernando Valley and I decided to stop by the field one more time on my way back to the, to the Valley. And the, I stopped by, I pull into the parking structure, the lights were on. So I'm like, Oh cool. There's something going on at the field. And, <laughs> and I decide I'm going to go check it out. I guess I was like, I didn't really want to leave yet, you know? Um, so I go down and there's an event going on. And uh, I think Bergy or bomber goes, Hey, what do you, what are you doing this summer? And it's like, I got nothing. I have no idea what I'm doing. And they're like, come work some camps. If you're interested, come work some camps. And, um, I was like, yeah, I'm in, I, let's, let's do it. Uh, I think I was lucky. I had a sister who was just married that was living in Huntington beach at the time. So I had a place to stay for the summer, um, work camps. And then it just kind of evolved from there where coach Ron was like, you could stick around as a student assistant, uh, you know, a undergrad assistant. I was like, I would love to do it. Um, it was a really exciting time. I, I was transitioning from a player to a, to a coach and just learning all about, you know, how division one programs run. So it was, it was, it was a great opportunity and I definitely wouldn't be in coaching if that opportunity hadn't been there, you know? Yeah, and, and then in 07, you know, obviously the Omaha run, I mean, that was a pretty special mm-hmm. team to be around. I got to imagine as a young coach. Oh yeah, it was, it was so much fun, obviously um, just to be around it that the that team just gelled and they were so competitive and um i was just fortunate to see it uh, I, I didn't really have too big of an impact uh from the coaching side just kind of being around as an extra body to help the the coaching staff um but really just observing how those guys went about it and the tenacity they brought to the yard every day the belief they had in um that they were going to do something special and and they did it was a cool group yeah, so after that, after the 07 season, you go and you, you work for the Boris Corp for a short mm-hmm. period of time. And take us mm-hmm. through that. I mean, you go from, you know, player to starting this coaching process to, you know, going to one of the, I mean, if, I mean, if not the largest baseball yeah. agency in the world, right? I mean, what 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 was that transition like and, and what led to that transition for you? Yeah, well, you know, after that 07 season, Coach Serrano left to go from Irvine to Fullerton. Um, so he was leaving. Uh, and Scott Boris Corporation is just right down, or the Boris Corporation is right down the street from Irvine in Newport Beach. And I had met Scott and because uh, his kids would train at UC Irvine through Joe DeMarco. Um, so I would pick up some lessons with them every once in a while and do some hitting or, or you know, hit him some fungos, stuff like that. And when coach Ronald left, I didn't really, again, I was at a point in my career. I didn't really know what I was going to do if I was going to go to Fullerton and stay in coaching or, um, or I knew I wanted to stay in, in sports and in baseball. I was hoping to. And, um, so Scott brought me over to his corporation and, and really just kind of an entry level role. It was similar to what I was doing at, 
at Irvine where I was just kind of helping out. I mean, whatever they needed um, done around the office, um, I was just there to help. So I, I think I did it for one year. And then I watched like every possible game that was streamed in college baseball. There wasn't quite as many, but you could still get a lot of streams um, back then in 2008. And then right around the time that the playoffs were coming, I just kind of made the decision that I wanted to go back to being in the dugout, even though the, it was an amazing experience being part of the Boris Corporation and seeing the business side of professional baseball. Um, but I just I just wanted to get back on the field and get in the dugout. So I, I went back and uh, joined Coach Serrano again at Fullerton, I think, in uh, in 09. Yeah, so you spent a few years there at, at Fullerton, and you know you talked mm -hmm. about you know one of the most successful programs you know in college baseball, and you guys had a lot of success there while you were there, and you know you ultimately elevated a recruiting coordinator, and, and that's really where the career starts taking off for you, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say that uh, you know I was at Fullerton for three years. Um, I got to recruit because Coach Serrano went to um he was at team usa for a summer and then there was some there was a change in the coaching staff so for that 11 season i was able to to go out and recruit and that was you know that was a fortunate thing for me because um you know volunteers most of the time don't have recruiting experience so i got kind of uh, about three months of that and then when we went to tennessee again coach serrano was doing so much stuff with team usa that I want to say both summers I was at Tennessee, I got a, uh, a waiver to go out on the road and recruit. So when I got, when it came time to get the job at Grand Canyon, um, I didn't have a ton of recruiting experience, but I had been on the road and I had been talking to, to um, families and, and recruits for, you know, parts of three summers by the time I got here. So, you know, that seems to be a theme with a lot of guys that I talk to is, is, you know, the, how are guys supposed to progress in this profession when they're not allowed to kind of do the things that you need to progress yeah. in this profession, right? I mean, you talk about not having a ton of recruiting experience. And I mean, is that something that you think is is kind of archaic, if you will? Or, I mean, something that should be addressed where, you know, hey, an ops guy should be involved in, in recruiting, at least when it's on campus or, you know, maybe be allowed to go out and uh, you know, alongside tag along with the recruiting coordinator or a coach who's allowed to recruit, at least kind of gain that experience and start to develop their own style. Yeah, it'd be great if they could. I mean, right now you can do the on-campus recruiting. So volunteers, ops, you know, they can help out with on-campus. And that's how I started as well. Like when I was at Irvine, um, you know, I do at Irvine, it was great because I knew the school and I knew the academic side. So I was able to kind of start interacting with kids and families because um, I would do all the campus tours because I knew the campus the best, right? Cause, <laughs> so um, that's that's how I started kind of doing it at, at Irvine. But so you can do the on-campus stuff. And obviously I think it's, there's a push for it. It seems like um, every year to get the fourth coach to the to be able to get on the road. And, and I think everyone in the industry is supportive of it um, as a way for them to get out and, and start evaluating and start um, – developing relationships on the road and being able to talk to to players you know yeah absolutely so you come into to gcu at kind of a mm -hmm. unique time right you're transitioning from into a d1 and you come in at the 2014 season and 
then the 2015 season is kind of a magical year for you guys, right? I mean, you guys, you, you win the regular season WAC championship and you're not you know allowed to go to the postseason yet because you're still transitioning. I mean, that really opened everybody's eyes to what the possibility of Grand Canyon baseball could be, at least, you know, from my perspective and on the West Coast, like, holy cow, this is a, you know, this is yeah. a, a program that's about to take off, right? Yeah, yeah. So when I got here, the, the foundation was really strong. I think the team was coming off a Division Two World Series appearance um, their last year, D2, and then the transition Division One. Um, we had a solid year the first year. Um, playing a full Division One schedule, and then the second year won that won that title, and it was just um, it was a really cool experience to be part of the that transition. And like I said, the the what Coach Stankwitz and at the time Coach Choate, you know, had done to put the the program on a really solid foundation um, to transition to Division One. Um, so when I got here, I was coming from University of Tennessee and seeing SEC baseball, and I was really surprised at the high level of talent that we had on a team that was just transitioned from D2 to, to D1. So it's uh, been a credit to what Coach Stankwitz and kind of Coach Choate started at that D2 level, and and then we've just kind of moved it from there. Yeah, then you guys have another big season in 2017. You win another WAC championship. But uh, I want to I kind of jump into the recruiting side of it now. I mean, you've, you've had an opportunity to recruit at Irvine, you know, a program that was – you know, had some success there your second year. Obviously, Fullerton is what Fullerton is. Uh, you know, you go out, you mentioned that you go out to the SEC and, you know, recruiting to the SEC. And now you're coming to a program that is transitioning to Division One. But you guys have had a lot of success with recruiting. So I'm curious as to what sort of elements do you take from all of your previous stops, you know, and incorporate them into what you're doing at GCU? Because, I mean, let's face it, you're, you're, you're going after – a different type of player, certainly than in the SEC, uh, you know, maybe not on the West Coast, the, the schools you've had stops at, but, uh, you, you know, you have to be a little bit uh, more selective, if you will, I suppose. Uh, and, and, you know, the opportunity to, uh, you know, not miss is probably, you know, a, a little smaller at, at GCU, I would assume, than it is, at, say, at an SEC school. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just really been a fun progression I think from when we were starting to build a division one roster um to then you know just seems like every two three years we find ourselves in a new circle of where we can get players from so I think at first honestly we were kind of competing against either nobody right so guys that nobody really knew about um they were kind of sleepers and there's not that many sleepers anymore I don't think <laughs> so um but at first, you know, either either that or we're competing against the community college, which is out here are, are really strong. I know they're strong in California as well, but out here they've got scholarships and um, they actively are out recruiting like Division One staff. So we were competing against them, and then it just kind of kept growing and growing to the point now where I feel like we're we're up against the the best when we on, on some guys, and we don't get them all, but we're trying to go up against anybody you know in in the recruiting circles and um we're, we're getting some so it's it's one of those things where i just feel like we've continued to to move right we continue to kind of move the program to to different levels and and different recruiting circles 
you know, there, there seems to be an obvious commitment from the administration to the baseball program, to all athletics at your school, uh, but specifically to baseball. I mean, with the facility, it's it's second to none out there, right? Yeah, that's part of why we can do what we do is because the, the people around here and it, from everything, they really care. It's the facility. It's our compliance people uh, starting, you know, starting at the top with our president, our athletic director, then, you know, compliance, academics. You know, just for example, this week we've got the NLIs going out and it's just everyone that I deal with here really cares. They want to do it at a high level. They want to make sure that, um, you know, we're we're if we're able to do it within the letter of the law of NCAA, that we're doing it. There's no one who's, you know, taking a day off or saying it's too much work to try to get this or that done. So um, there's a ton of commitment from the university um, to athletics in all sports and, and baseball is, is one of our top sports here. Yeah. So you've, you've had the opportunity to coach with and coach under and be around and play for, you know, a lot of very recognizable mm-hmm. names in, in the college mm-hmm. game, right? You've, you've listed a few of those guys and I'm curious how you've taken what you've learned from them and, and molded that into kind of your own coaching philosophy. And, and how would you describe that? Yeah, that's a great question. I've taken bits and pieces from, from everywhere, starting with Coach Museborn um, to, you know, then going to college with Coach Savage, Coach Gill, um, being around Coach Bergeron, Coach Serrano, Coach Moziello. It's, I, I think I've just taken bits and pieces of different things we've done on the field, whether it's a drill set or, you know, a, a, a way that we're supposed to run a drill, you know, stuff like that. But then really coming here with Coach Stankiewicz and adopting his style of how he does things, um, which I think is phenomenal. So it's been so great to learn under him for now the last, I think, eight, starting my ninth season. So it's cool because I've taken bits and pieces from really successful coaches, but then being here and learning what what Coach Tankwitz wants to do and how he runs practice, how he runs a fall, how he you know can split up individual player development versus team development, and and mixing what I've learned into that into his his beliefs has has gone smooth. So, yeah, and you know, obviously you're you're a SoCal guy, and and you know, recruiting California is is very obvious, right? I mean, I see you everywhere, you know. So right. there's a concerted effort uh, to recruit in California. How important is you know not only kind of throwing up a wall in your own backyard there in Arizona. Um, but also, you know, recruiting California as vigorously as you guys do. Yeah, some of our best some of our best guys have been from California. We've tried to work inside out like anyone. We 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 have to keep the best guys in Arizona that we can. And it seems a uh, the Arizona guy has more immediate knowledge of the school. Um, they're easier to get on campus. But then California has been a huge uh, spot for us. I mean. You just look at kind of what we did last year. Some of our main guys, uh, actually, you look at uh, Pearson Ole. He was a California kid. Frankie Scalzo, he's a California kid. Um, uh, Jacob Wilson and Elijah Burris. Um, so four of probably our best guys all came from winning programs in Southern California. And um, Southern California baseball is great. I know NorCal is too, and we do have some NorCal guys. Um, but SoCal is it's such a you know, it's, it's pretty close. I can get to LA in five hours. Um, you can get to the Inland Empire sometimes in four. So it's, it's far enough away from home for SoCal kids where they feel like they're, 
getting away, but it's close enough they can drive home on the weekends. It just it makes a lot of sense for us to recruit California kids. You touched on something there that I found really interesting. You know, you said that those guys come from winning programs. How important mm-hmm. is that for you when it comes to recruiting players? Uh, you know, that they come from these established winning programs, or is it really kind of on an individual basis when it comes per player? I think, you know, if if we had our choice, we would love to recruit guys from programs that are expected to win and used to winning. I mean, you look at what Elijah and Jacob did for us coming from Orange Lutheran and Thousand Oaks High School, where every year they're going to be in the mix for a CIF title. Um and they're just used to winning. They want to. Uh, they want to win games. It's not just about individual um, accolades at those programs. It's about trying to win CIF titles. So, um, same thing here in the state. When when we get a kid from Hamilton High School or Central Arizona Community College, Yavapai Community College, South Mountain, those kids are used to trying to compete for championships. And I think they get in here and they understand the that yes, obviously this is about player development and trying to get guys opportunities at the next level professionally, but it's also about winning. And um, we talk about that all the time is um, coach kind of to, to, I think, take a phrase from, I believe Nick Saban uses a lot this fall is, is what's your record, you know, just individually this day, what's your record? Did you, you know, when, when it was a BP, did you win that or did you lose it? If it's infield work, you know, did you win it or did you lose it? And so I think it's huge to have kids that want to compete, um, and understand what winning baseball is. You talked a little bit there about the junior college players there, you know, the programs mm-hmm. there in, in your state. And, you know, I'm curious because, you know, COVID has, has put such a crunch on rosters everywhere, right? And, and you know, you're seeing more and more quality players who in any other given year may have ended up at a, you know, at a division one school that are going the junior college route just because of a roster crunch or whatever the reason might be. And I'm interested your take on it. You know, you didn't play junior college baseball, but you obviously see the value in it. And I'm curious, Mm -hmm. you know, how, 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 what's the difference in recruiting a junior college kid versus, you know, a high school player, um, you know, you know, obviously you have some tape on guys at the junior college level, but uh, I'm curious, you know, is there a different mindset from a recruiting standpoint? And then once you get them on campus versus a high school player? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, and, and especially now that we're some years into building the roster, I think you kind of, it, we don't want to become a cyclical program, meaning that, um, you know, once every three, four years, you got a shot to win, but it takes some some time. I think when you're in a spot where you want to win every year and you know you can forecast out and say, um, you know, last year we were pretty sure we were going to lose Pearson all to the, to the draft and, and Frankie Scalzo to the draft. Um, and then, you know, this year there's a couple guys you can, you can forecast you're going to lose them or they're seniors. So the junior college baseball is great to say, okay, we're going to bring in some really talented freshmen um, and hopefully they're ready. But if not, we've got an older experienced collegiate player that's ready to, to keep the train moving, right? That we're not going to go um, way backwards year to year. We're not going to have this great team in, 2021 and then in 2022 you know take our lumps because we're we're going to be super inexperienced again so i think the junior colleges are great to get experienced guys uh same thing with the transfer portal but you you can just kind of take a look uh i think for us and i don't know i'm sure everyone does this differently um you can track 
statistics and what guys are doing so much better at the junior college level than in high school. You know, if a guy's doing this in the ACCAC, which is our league out here, mm-hmm. or the Orange Empire League, um, you know, which is the one of the premier junior college leagues in, um, in, in California, you have a pretty good idea that they're going to be able to, to fill in and be competitive for you right away. So for us, I think there's a split with the junior college and the high school kids, sometimes around being a performer. You want that JC performer that's used to having success. And then you obviously want a high school performer as well. But I think we're willing to take more shot on skill set tools from a high school kid to try to develop them than just a maybe a toolsy junior college kid that hasn't had success. Performer at the junior college level. And when we take a shot on maybe a professional tool, it's a high school kid. Got it. And, and you touched on the portal there, and I'm curious your take on it, right? Everybody seems to have a different different opinion on it. Some schools stay away from it completely. Some schools are all in on it. You know, it seems to be a buzzword, at least during the fall right now, during college football, we're seeing some of these successful programs that, you know, went all in on the portal and they're having a lot of success this year. Is that something that, you know, GCU, obviously you have to monitor it. You have to keep an eye on it. You know, there's potentially a guy in there or two, or is that something that, you know, you guys are, are, you know, making a concerted effort to potentially, you know, pluck guys out of there? Yeah, I think it's valuable. And I don't think there's like a one size fits all approach to it. I don't think, um, uh, we're not going to take a stand that, you know, just because you left one place doesn't mean you can't have success at another place. I think it's individual case. It's, it is, uh, a pretty much a case by case, case approach. And just like anything, I think you're going to do your homework on the kid in the portal as just as well as you would do your homework on a, a high school kid or a junior college kid. And you're going to find out, you know, why you're leaving. Um, a lot of the guys in the portal also are grad transfers that maybe have played somewhere for four years and are looking for uh, a different experience for their last year when you could grad transfer. So, um, we, we didn't rely on it, but I think we got three guys from the portal and they're all going to be a big part of our team. Uh, they're experienced. They're great kids. Um, two pitchers and one catcher that, that got in the portal and, and came to us and two were grad transfers and one was a kid that was coming home. So I think you, you see that a lot in Arizona uh, and probably California guys that maybe leave the state and it just isn't working out for one reason or another. I don't think we're going to have a blanket like we're not going to basically put all our eggs into the portal, yeah. but I think there's a there's a spot for it and there's an individual case where um, it's I think it's useful. It's a it's a good thing for kids to have that option and it's a good thing for programs to be accountable to to their players. We talk about that a lot, you know, in in recruiting um, and I like to use our guys in this too. Like I, I think Elijah or Jacob could have jumped in that portal if if we weren't doing something well that they enjoyed being here and thought we were uh, running a good program. I think when you bring in players at a mid major, you got to be accountable or else, you know, if your guys go off and they can jump in that. So um, I think it's a, I think it's a good thing that kids have that option. And I think it's on the coaches to create a great experience um, that where players don't want to leave your program and understand that there are going to be some that, that leave. And that doesn't mean that, that we wouldn't want them here to leave another program or that someone that leaves our program can't find success somewhere else, you know? Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I've, I've admired just kind of watching the way you go about recruiting, you know, from afar is, 
it seems like you're really methodical, right? Like you're not going to go in on a guy, you see him, you know, one game and, you know, he goes three for three or he's, you know, 89 to 93, whatever on the mound. And you're, you know, Hey, here's your offer. Right. Uh, What does that stem from? I mean, is that, you know, maybe from your own experience as a recruit, or is it something that you've just kind of picked up or is it just the nature of where you are presently? Yeah. uh, That's a great question. I just feel like we just, want to make sure that as much as possible that the guy that we're bringing in has a chance to really be an impact guy um, on our roster or whether it's year one or we do we see this maybe year two something like that Um, I just we all feel like you got to see him consistently you got to do your homework Uh, one good game doesn't mean that that you're going to be able to come and and be on our team or on our roster so we try to be pretty thorough in that and not jumping to to offers because that's how um, we've had success late in the process too. So it feels like you know I, I want to say this last week before NLIs we've we've probably committed four guys in November of either their senior or sophomore junior college year, and we went into it I think with five and we've added four. Um, in the last week. And we feel really, really good about those four. Um, so I think we just want to get into a, a situation where we don't want to have regret that we saw a guy good once. And then have we seen a season, you know, um, have we seen it over a summer, you know, and, and that's really important to us is I think if you've seen the results of say an entire junior season and you know that, man, this guy's had a great, uh, season at a place like a Orange Lutheran or a Jay Sarah or El Toro, you know, any of those programs. And then you see him in the summer and see him really good. Yeah. That's, that's where you kind of move quicker when it's a younger guy and maybe they're in their sophomore summer going into junior year and you see him good, but you don't have that track record of what they've been like over the course of a high school season. We were, we're willing to maybe lose a guy cause they're ready to commit early versus I guess taking that that uh, risk that we haven't seen over a full you know course of a year yet. So um, there's just kind of a lot of variables that go into it, but we tend to move slower on on younger guys until we've really seen some um, track record. You talked about you know you've had some success late. I mean Elijah Burries is the perfect example of that, right? I mean you guys get him late in the in the process comes in. I mean, and he just has a phenomenal season for you. And and I'm curious because, you know, there seems like there's such a rush now, right, to commit. I mean, we've got eighth graders committing, you know, where they're not even in high school yet. And, you know, it just seems like it's such a rush for kids and, you know, oftentimes for parents for those kids mm-hmm. to commit to a, a college baseball program. And given what's happened with COVID, the loss of the season, the crunch on the rosters, uh, I'd love to hear what your kind of advice would be to you know potential recruits as as it pertains to that, right? I mean, because it happens differently for everybody, right? And it's almost as if, hey, I play on a travel ball team, and you know those three guys committed this summer. Well, when am I going to commit? And yeah. you know, then then things kind of we've seen it, you've seen it, I've seen it. Kids start to go backwards, right? They regress because the focus is on that commitment. So I'm curious, you know, what what's your you know, quote unquote advice to yeah. players when it comes to that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's that's it's a tough question because you know sometimes there's an early commit um, to somewhere and it's the right fit and it's their dream school and it's it's where they want to be and it, um, so yeah, there's some cases where there's um, kids make the right decision. For for me, I'd always think just having been doing this for a while, um, if you're really really uh, impact player, there's gonna be um, a spot for you and um, probably at the school that you want to go to. So I, I just was like, I think the more patient kids are, um, the more opportunities come up. And especially if you're like in your senior year and you're good enough to start in division one baseball by that time, you know, programs still are going to have needs and, um, there's going to be a spot for you and there's going to be less guys like that, you know? So you become really, really in demand just because there's, there's less guys available. So, um, there's no perfect answer because it works out sometimes, you know, and I, I think with the, the early commits for, for our program, um, we, we just tend to be more patient. Um, so it, it's hard. It's a really hard thing to advise a family on that. Um, but I always think if, if you're good enough, uh, there's always going to be a spot for you um, and, and at good places. I think you can look around to this past week you know, before November or even during the season, power fives are still going to be adding seniors. You know, uh, we're definitely going to be adding seniors and junior college guys. So, uh, and that's us. We're still wrapping up our, our 22 class. And after this NLI period, it'll be more of a focus on 23s, but really this whole summer it's, we've, we've been finishing 22s and I know we're a mid-major, so probably not the same as maybe a UCLA or a USC or, or some of the, the, the big time power fives, but um, there's always going to be a good spot. I recommend patience, but I know sometimes that's tough when you've got an offer and it's a, a place that that's a really good school. So, you know, one of the biggest challenges in, in recruiting, and you touch on it a little bit, is, is the draft, right? I, I mean, you, you just don't know, right? I mean, there was an opportunity for, uh, you know, you mentioned a few of your guys that you can forecast out potentially losing them to the draft. So, I mean, how how do you balance that? And, and, you know, how do you, do you, you know, are, are, are you talking to kids where, Hey, potentially if we lose this guy, we're in on you. Do you how do you have those conversations with players, uh, you know, as it surrounds, as it pertains to the draft and the potential of losing players to the draft? Yeah. I think there's a balance between, you know, the, the guys you bring in that, well, you know, older guys, younger guys, where you, you have some backup in case one of your older guys leave. That's why, I think this year our class is about half and half between junior college and, and, and high school. Um, you, you know, you, if you develop well, you should have some guys underneath as well, ready to kind of take over. So I feel like, you know, when we do lose guys, someone else always steps up and that's always like, you know, go back through our last three Friday starters. It's always like when we lost Jake Wong, he was a third rounder. You're always like, man, how are we going to replace him? And then Cade Meckle steps up. And then you lose Cade Meckles on Friday and you're like, how the heck are we going to replace Cade? And then Pearson Ole steps up and he goes 10 and two and he's an all American and he gets drafted. And now we're in the situation like, well, how the heck are we going to replace <laughs> Pearson? But somebody's going to step up. So, um, you know, it is the draft's probably the, a, a really difficult thing to deal with, but you also want to deal with it. Like for, for us, that means that if you're worried about the draft, you're recruiting the right players and you have the right players in your program. So, um, it is something that's a challenge, but it's a good challenge so, because 
it means you've got some players with a professional um, a professional skill set. I think you also have to have knowledge of, you know, like with us, the four corner scouts, I think we've created some good relationships with them where we have an idea of who's on the target list for professional baseball within our program and even in our recruiting class. And then, um, so we're not surprised too often, you know, if a guy's on some radars and he's going off like Pearson was, we knew Pearson was, had met with a lot of scouts in the fall and, um, you know, he has a great year. He's goes 10 and two and, um, a, you know, great strikeout to walk really pits the big games for us. It wasn't a shock to us that, that Pearson, um, was drafted. It wasn't a shock that Frankie Scalzo got drafted or Chani Ortiz because we, we knew that a lot of teams were talking to them and they were having great seasons. So it was, uh, we, we were prepared for it. You know, with so many restrictions on, on time you can spend with players and, and, you know the how many time how many hours they can be on the field versus all that how do you guys manage that in in the fall specifically where i mean a lot of you know instruction goes on a lot of development happens in the fall how do you guys balance that and you know what sort of things are you doing maybe off the field what are you providing players to where they can do stuff on their own without a coach present yeah yeah definitely well the first thing i would say is um you know i know you asked me this earlier kind of about the, the training here and that one of the best things I think about coach Stankowitz is um, our fall is structured in a way that it, there's like, there's a buildup. We don't rush into anything too quick. It's always like we do a month of our, of our skill instruction, our foreign ones. Um, and we're not in a rush to just throw everything in. It's like, let's get our defensive work in. Let's get our, our offensive work in our hitting um, fundamentals, like fun, you know, a lot of fundamentals underneath us. Then we start the fall. And then the fall builds up to our fall world, fall world series, which we just had, where the picture's starting to become clear of kind of, you know, the guys who are in the mix for starting roles and, and um, impact roles. And then we go out and we play someone else. And that's where a real test of how prepared we're going to be. Um, you know, we're going out this weekend actually to play Saturday the 13th, we play at USC and Sunday the 14th, we play at Cal State Fullerton. So That'll be a great test to kind of great way to conclude our fall. Great way to see, you know, a, a small look into our preparation over the fall. Um, but yeah, there are kind of those, the hour limitations. A uh, great thing for us is one, the weather. So guys can get out on the field whenever they want without us. Um, and we have open cages. We have a, a lock shed where if guys want to get working on their own, um, our facility is always open for them. So, um, but I think the way we structure it, they get plenty of work in within the hour limitations between our, our, you know, eight hour week where they're doing skill training and um, weight training. And then our 20 hour week where we're jumping into team practice scrimmages. Um, they get a ton of work done. You're, you guys are headed out West, you know, or further West, I should say this weekend, like you said, uh, you know, yep. USC, Cal state Fullerton, how has that changed college baseball, the ability to travel during the fall to play some, some, some scrimmages. It's just added an extra element of a really exciting day, something to look forward to. Um, you know, scrimmaging your own team for six straight weeks can get a little bit tedious, and it's hard to continue to bring, you know, the energy and the momentum when you're facing the same guys and playing your own team. Um, so I think being able to go out and play someone else really adds 
um, some great motivation to your, to your guys to, to always something to look forward to. We always try to do it towards the end, and we're fortunate with the weather to be able to do it because I, I feel like it keeps our team motivated um, to, to continue to, to get better, to continue to try to fight for jobs, and then um, go and see, you know, how prepared we are here at the end. And, and you know, it'll be a great couple days, and it's great to play someone else and, and um, see how your team responds. But then, then there's still so much time between that and when you actually start up in, in January again that – it's a nice indicator, but um, obviously it's from November 14th, you know, how much better are guys going to be getting on their own till when we get back in January? And then how much does the team either pick up where you left off to start when we start team practice in January, or what do we need to improve on that maybe comes out in these games against SC and Fullerton? So that's why we go play great teams and great programs because hopefully some stuff does come out that, hey, we need to work on this. We need to shore this up. If we want to be a, a real contender here to win a regional, uh, then we got to get better in these areas. So, um, and and that will all come out here, you know, between the, those games and early season play. Yeah, you touched on earlier, you know, the relationships with scouts and you know having a heads up on players, that sort of thing. I want to talk about the relationships with with high school coaches and you know more importantly travel ball coaches because it seems as though there's you know a million club teams out there you know especially here in Southern California uh, you know and, and I'm sure you're you're dialed in with with pretty much all of them you know how how important are those relationships when it comes to recruiting players and and do you put an emphasis on one over the other or that you know is it really kind of a a guy by guy basis as it pertains to either a high school coach or a club coach. Yeah, um, you know, obviously the relationships you develop in recruiting are just so huge because um, it's it's cliche, but you can't be everywhere, right? And not only can you not be everywhere, but you can get fooled um, sometimes. You might show up and you might see, um, and I know, I know this from, just take our team. Um, if a scout shows up to watch us, I know who our best player is. I know who I want at the plate, um, you know, when we're down by one with a man on second and in the ninth inning, I know who, who we want to have the ball in their hands because we see them every day. So for, for me, I show up at one game and there might be an All-American playing on, you know, the high school team or the travel team and they might have a terrible day. And um, to not have those relationships where a coach you trust is able to tell you like, hey, you got to stay with him, see him again. He just had a bad day. Or on the flip side, you might see a guy who is having an incredible day or an incredible week. And then to be able to lean on the high school coach or the travel coach to tell you, well, he, he had a good week, but stay with him because, you know, that's the best that we've seen him and he might not be ready to play um, at your, at your level yet. So you really have to have those relationships to help you make good decisions. And um, I don't think we lean on one more than the other. I think, um, they're, they're all valuable getting input from the, the club coach and the high school coach and um, the high school coach always, you know, they, they see the kid every day, they see them on campus. So it's valuable to hear what the high school coach has to say. And obviously the the summer coach that sees them and, and hopefully some, you know, great summer tournaments that's there's talking to everyone and, and getting as much information as possible before you kind of make a decision. Yeah, you know, Wally, much has been made about, you know, the game is changing and you know, it's all about launch angles. It's all about spin rates and, you know, yeah. technology and data and, and all this stuff. And I, I'm interested to know, 
you know, did, what does GCU use in that regard? And, and how do you personally, you know, and, you know, your staff uh, there at GCU, how do you guys incorporate that into, you know, what you're doing in terms of development? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we're really fortunate here and we're old school program at heart. Uh, Coach Stankwitz, it's fundamentals. It's an old school approach, but we have all the technology and we are using it. And I feel like this year um, it is, I think it's year three where we've had kind of the Yacker Tech system and the, and the video system. We've got an analytics team in place led by students. And I feel like we're now really three years in able to kind of digest the information where it can help in player development um, the video between the video and the numbers. And um, it's fun to have. I don't think we don't ever really lean on it too heavily, but it, it does show you some, some great indicators. Like we have the ability to go look at where guys hit certain pitches well in the strike zone um, and, and show them kind of, Hey, look what, if you're trying to decide what your approach should be, well, right now, you know, if you look, you hit everything say at the top of the strike zone really hard and you don't hit the ball really well at the bottom of the strike zone. So there's a lot of ways we use that one until you figure out a swing adjustment, look for something up in the zone and, and you got to be able to take the pitch low in the zone because you don't handle it well. Um, and then two, it gives us an idea of what we need to work on with that, that guy. Cause if you can't handle, and usually it'd be maybe, maybe that guy doesn't handle spin well, well, you know, we got to set up, you know, the, the slider machine for him or get him on a plan where, He's uh, keeping his strengths, but able to work on his weaknesses. So we use the numbers a lot with that. We use them with, I mean, we used to do spray charts that could show all this stuff. And now, you know, our system does show a thing called directional launch angle, which I think there's a lot of misconception about launch angle. It, it's, uh, I don't, it's never something we teach with a swing, but you look at, you know, last year, for example, we had Chani Ortiz who weighed, 155 pounds and his directional launch angle was 40 to the opposite field and six to the pull side and that's a problem in the fall this was in the fall because basically what that means is hey you're popping balls up opposite field and you're over the top to balls to the pull side so we all knew that and he knew that but that seeing the numbers really was able to to hammer home an approach and coach said to him like hey you're not allowed to hit a ball in the air to the opposite field side in batting practice anything you hit to the opposite field side needs to be head high or lower uh, you know to the to an infielder anything you hit to the pull side you actually you know you're you're able to to get some more air under it and then he made a swing adjustment based on that just an approach adjustment in bp what his goals were and he starts out the year hitting a lot of line drives all over the yard getting confident and then the power came um because he he was confident he, he switched his approach he started hitting line drives and when he got a mistake he was now elevating balls to the pull side instead of hitting ground balls to the pull side so uh, i think from the offensive side that was probably the best example of of that um of using the the numbers that we have in the video and kind of being able to put it all together but they're fun to look at i mean i'll look at them now and if you've got a guy especially in the fall because you have such a short window you know our guys even their guys that get the most at bats in the fall might get 60 you know you get 60 at bats well 
that's a quarter of a of a division one season so it's nice to mix kind of the some of those numbers and see you know well this guy maybe only hit you know 230 in the fall but look how hard he's hitting the ball you know versus just the hard contact chart you know like well look how hard he hits the ball look how what is what is average you know um exit velo is because then you can kind of say okay over 200 at bats those balls are going to start falling so um it's been it's been great to have we don't rely on it we're not married to it but it does help in player development and it helps putting together some some plans with approach or swing changes or um you know pitch design stuff yeah i mean at, at its core i it's like any other tool right i think it if it's used to as an instructional piece for development you know then it, it's great i mean it, it gets a bad reputation i think when you see things like in the world series right where you know they're pulling pitchers and matchups and this and that but you know especially on the on the hitting side and and on the pitching side and uh you know, i think it's it's a valuable tool to have and it, you, you said there that you know it's it's led by students and i'm, I'm curious on that because Donegal touched on this, you know, in, in, in our time together where, uh, you know, it's it's very student driven and, you know, they've had some students who have ultimately graduated, got on to, you know, get jobs with, with pro clubs in, in that department. And how did that come to be to where it's kind of student driven for you guys? Yeah, well, we got the video system, uh, Exos, which is, you know, four cameras, all angles of the field. And then we added the Yakertech system, which is... Um, it's a it's basically all the the batted ball data the spin rate stuff um we can say it's like rapsido on steroids uh the the yakker tech and um we just as a coach you know we, we don't have we're not a um pro organization where we have you know paid positions <laughs> to right. to do this and as a coach we don't have the time to upload all the video you know and um you know, digest all the information or, or really just input all the information into the baseball cloud. So we put out, I think a tweet one day or an Instagram message or whatever it was about wanting to start an analytics team. And this was three years ago. It was led by our director of operations. He kind of interviewed, I think we put it out and we had 10, 15, 20 something students day one that said, Hey, we're interested. And they went through interviews with these kids and they picked three that kind of started our analytics program three years ago. And since then, it's really grown. There's been a couple guys um, that have kind of taken the lead. We have a junior now who's kind of our head of analytics, I think. And he's even on our website as our, our lead analytics guy. His name is Jason Ferrari. And he's just done a great job kind of building that program. And he's got a vision of wanting to work in professional baseball. So everything he's doing, he sees as like, this is part of his resume, you know, and he does great yeah. work. and. Um, he's got, when he goes to interview for jobs in professional baseball, he's got, uh, experience in everything that, that, that he's doing. So this is a, you know, it's like a little internship working with a college team that hopefully can lead to something in professional baseball. And with that, he's grown it to where now there's, I think five guys and they take some freshmen, a freshman each year. And hopefully when they leave, the program is just going to continue to roll and it, it's it's valuable for us because they really help us with the video uploading the video and charting everything that's going on so that they can input it correctly so that we can go back and look at accurate information um and that's huge you know as coaches to to know and have the trust that what we're looking at on this baseball cloud has accurately been charted 
and the video is uploaded the right way. Um, so they've done a great job and it's, it's become part of the program. Is that exosystem similar to Synergy? Yeah. So Exos is like our own Synergy. Synergy, I mean, I think everybody has Synergy now and it's awesome. It's a great system. So Exos does the same stuff that Synergy does. Um, it's just our own internal system. So basically gotcha. in inner squads, right? You're not going to tape your, um, your inner squads and put them up on Synergy for everyone right. to see. But we have, you know, every at-bat a guy's taken this fall, every inning a guy's pitched this fall, we have on our own exosystem. Gotcha. So for player development purposes, um, you know, guys can go recall all of their at-bats. They can go check out, you know, what their, their innings pitched have looked like on video. Cool. And so just the last point on that is is synergy. How how has that changed? I mean, mm-hmm. just from an advanced scouting and I mean, how has that helped? Is it, you know, is it too much information at times? Is it, is it, you know, is it a helpful tool for you guys? Cause I mean, I hear guys talking about it all the time. We've had a couple, we've had synergy out to a couple of our events and, you know, just diving into it. it it's, it's a sweet platform. Uh, and I'm just curious, you know, does it make your job, I won't say easier, but how has it helped your job when it comes to advanced scouting? Uh, it's to the point with synergy where I think if you talk to college coaches, they're all like, I don't know how we did this before synergy. Um, <laughs> you know, before synergy, it was like you were trading reports and trying to take notes during games, which is gets really difficult because you're trying to win a game and now you're trying to take scouting notes as well. Um, but it, now synergy is amazing with what you can do and how you can get a look at opponents or, or evaluate your own team with it. Um, because even on the road, you have footage chopped up of your team and your at bats. Um, now, like we tell to, to our guys and all our recruits as well, it's great because you can, you know, as a hitter, you can get a look at the pitcher that, that you're facing, um, as a pitcher, you can get a look at the lineup, but they can get a look at you too. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely great that you can be more prepared to go in and, and actually you can kind of have a visual of, of what the team looks like and what they feature and you can do it quickly. You don't have to sit and watch an entire game Um, and and you can chop it up into just, Hey, here's what the starter we're facing. Here's what his breaking ball looks like. Here's what his fastball looks like. Here's what, you know, his pickoff move looks like. Um, So you can get some great visuals, but you also know that the other team can do that with you as well. So it's, uh, um, it's made scouting reports more efficient it's probably put more work into scouting reports, but all for the for a, a really good end result. Yeah, Wally, man, I, again, man, I can't I can't thank you enough for doing this, dude. This was this was an awesome conversation, and I just I really appreciate you uh, making some time to hop on here with me today, man. No, thanks, Les. I, I was excited that you asked me, and and what you guys are doing with PBR in general um, is is awesome. I went to that futures game, and oh my gosh, I know I saw you there, but what an event! Yeah. It was uh, I think I'll be definitely going to that every year because it was it was such a cool event to attend and, and what you guys are doing is is great. So thank you for what you guys do as well. Awesome, Wally. Appreciate it. And I uh, look forward to chatting with you in person pretty soon here. All right. Thanks, Les. I'd like to thank GCU recruiting coordinator Greg Wallace for joining me on the podcast today. Be sure to check out prepbaseballreport.com for all your news, rankings, and event information. And until next time, we'll see you at the yard.